0: It is funny how difficult it can be right now to perceive what's happening behind behind a mask. I had a, a few weeks ago, I was having a conversation with my neighbor across the fence from our backyards and a few hours later I went on a run. And uh, I was coming back up the path that leads into our neighborhood and I saw these two women walking side by side in masks and uh, and I try to be cordial enough with a little hi or a nod when I pass people when I run. And, uh, and so, but I, I could do it in a very anonymous way that just says like, well, and, and it wasn't until I had gotten past, about 10 feet past the person that I looked right in the eye that I realized it was my neighbor who I had been talking with just two hours before face to face and we'd had this long conversation I just kind of did one of those like complete anonymous ignoring you and, uh, and not realizing who, who they were. Uh, it's funny how just a little change can really throw us off in those areas. Uh, do any of you remember, it happens in other areas of our life too, do any of you remember when you were in school and you would see a teacher at the grocery store or maybe maybe they lived on the other side of your neighborhood and you saw them with their children and you saw him, him maybe working out or you saw her uh, going for a bike ride and, and you just, it was almost like you didn't recognize them because it just messed with you. It was a different We have we have these categories, right? We have these assumptions, we have boxes and parameters that we place people um, in, and when that doesn't work, it's very hard to recognize people in the same way. It just feels weird and off. And it's like, wait, I I think I know you maybe, but this is weird. What what context? I can't wrap my mind around it. One of the central themes in the scriptures, over and over again across the old and the new testament, is I will be with you always okay? It's God's promise of presence, all right? And if that continues, if if we take that promise, which is pretty much universally agreed on as one of the standards of God's character and promises, and if we take that and look at it today and say that that promise remains today, like almost all of us, I believe, would believe is true, if that's the case, uh, then we are left with an undeniable reality. And that undeniable reality is that Jesus walks among us unrecognizable, all the time. You know what? I shouldn't say unrecognizable. I should say unrecognized. Jesus walks among us unrecognized all the time. In the midst of a stressed out world and a completely disorienting season of life, it can be really hard to see the risen Jesus. He's there, but we don't often recognize him. So, we want to learn from the unique moments in the scriptures when others struggled to recognize him as well. I've been looking in the scriptures, and I think there's five, five big ones, five big moments where people struggle to recognize Jesus. And so we're going to take a few weeks in a world where it can be really hard to see Jesus these days, and we're going to explore those stories, one each week, and we're going we're gonna to take a look at why was it difficult to recognize Jesus and what can we emerge with, what can we learn about our attitudes and our own spiritual growth and depth by looking into that today. Um, so why is this important for us? Uh, first, is that a deep life of discipleship is founded not on knowledge, but on being with Jesus. A deep life of discipleship is founded on being close enough to Jesus that Jesus actually begins to rub off on us. Not just some mental agreement with a set of beliefs at one point, but actually seeing and experiencing Jesus in a way that transforms us. That's what discipleship is. We can't do that without being with Jesus. And secondly, if we're unable to recognize Jesus, then others will not be able to recognize Jesus in us. If we're unable to see where God is at work in the world, to notice when Jesus is in front of us, then there is no way that other people are going to be able to look at us and see Jesus in us, because that connection's not happening personally. So we can't display the character of God if we're missing the way that Jesus might be alive among us. All right, so this is fun because we get to do some stories, and I love diving into the scriptural stories. And um, kids, I believe you've got um, a page that you can be decorating and working on that actually embodies the same story we're about to look at. So, let's have some fun. In John 20, let me set this up, okay? So, in John 20, the first part of this that we won't look at as closely. The The first part of John 20 is Jesus has died, okay? And it's been several days. And so, it is Sunday morning after Jesus was killed on Friday evening, and uh, Mary has gone, this is Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene, really important part of the New Testament, okay? She's kind of an apostle to the apostles in many ways. She's mentioned 12 times in the Synoptic Gospels, which is more than most of the other apostles, and more than any other non-family woman in the Scriptures, okay? So Mary's a big deal. She was healed by Jesus at one point, and she became one of the most devout followers. She didn't desert Jesus like many of the other disciples did and, um, at, at the crucifixion. And so she is a, a sturdy through line throughout the scriptures of a faithful, of a faithful person. So we're not going to get into the burial process, but it was a multi-layered process when someone died. And so Mary was heading back to try to continue and to finish the burial process by, by caring for the body of Jesus. Um, but she was not expecting when she got to the tomb to find it open and empty. Okay? So what happens is she finds it open and empty. And as soon as she sees that, that the tomb has been opened, she knows exactly what happened. Someone has taken Jesus. Okay? There's no question what the storyline is. She immediately knows this is what happened. Uh, she, she freaks out. She runs back. She tells the disciples, James, or I'm, I'm sorry, she tells uh, Simon, Peter, and John, and they both take off to get to the tomb to check it out, okay? And so that's, that's about where, where we're getting to. She follows them and comes later. They come in, also find an empty tomb, and they leave to go and tell other people. But she stays at the tomb, okay? And she's, she's, uh, she's tired, she's exhausted, she's weeping, she's really stressed out, deep despair, because she knows that they've taken Jesus' body and she doesn't know where they've put it. Okay? And so you can, you can hear this over and over again in everything that's happening. Uh, so we're at verse 11. All right. So this is Mary's second trip it, this morning to the, to the tomb. She stood outside crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and she saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. Now, if you're going to compare an angel in white sitting on a tomb table, which is kind of—we won't get into the Um, design—but if you're going to see that, and you're going to compare that to Roman guards standing on the outside, do you think you would be able to tell the difference? Yes. Not too hard, right? The appearance of two strange white men kind of radiating, dressed all in white, inside the tomb would ask would would send most of us to ask the question who are you (laughs) what's going on but mary doesn't ask that really important they ask her a question she sees them and they say woman why are you crying and she says she knows the story she knows what's happened they've taken my lord away and i don't know where they've put him She doesn't even see the angelic presence. She doesn't see that there is a presence of God right in front of her. Very strange, by the way, in the scriptures. Most times when people encounter angels, they they know it, even though angels take on a, a very physical human form. So very unique moment. She can't see it. She sees right through them, okay? They've taken my Lord away, and I don't know where they have put him. Okay. At this, she turned around And she saw Jesus standing there, but she did not recognize or realize that it was Jesus. That word um, for realize is is this Greek word. She didn't see him. She didn't she didn't understand it was him. In in the Plato and uh, and Aristotle used to use this word to talk about the essence of somebody, not just the physical form but the character and the deepest part of the essence of someone was their eidos. So so she did not see Jesus in his deepest form. She didn't, she might have seen him but she didn't understand who he really was and it doesn't just mean appearance. It means his essence. She didn't get it. Okay? She looks right through. And so what happens in this moment she sees him, she thinks he's a gardener Again, he asks her the same question because God's asking her a question. Woman, why are you crying? They want to get to the heart of what's going on to reveal the beauty. So Jesus asks her the same questions that the angels do. Woman, why are you crying? Formal greeting, by the way. Woman, not, a, not demeaning, just a, a formal, formal greeting. Woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? The defining question of the conversation. Who is it? What are you looking for? is the question, what are you looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. What does she do to his question? She just totally ignores the question the second time. Why is she ignoring the question? She's so completely overcome with grief and despair and discouragement that she can't even hear the questions. She's already decided what the story is. There's so little hope. So she sees right through people. If you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. By the way, on a practical level, can you hear that Mary's not really thinking straight? I mean, I doubt, I doubt Mary was so bulked up that she would be able to carry the body of a grown man. Right? I'll go get him. I'll, I'll <laughs> this is a bit morbid, but like I'll, I'll drag him where. We need to get him back to, like, like she's, she's so distraught, and it's so important that we understand this, because in this entire time, she is completely unable to see Jesus. We're going to pause there for just a second, because the key part of the, the first half of this story is that Mary is carrying with her a certain assumption, and what she's carrying with her is the assumption of death. She carries the assumption of death rather than the assumption of resurrection into this story. She looks through people. She doesn't hear what's actually being said because she already knows that hope has a limit. What, what was, even, even her greatest hope lacked imagination. What was Mary's greatest hope at this moment? What was her greatest hope, the highest moment that she could possibly have perceived happening? Finding the dead body of Jesus. That was her highest imagination. That was the ceiling. That was as large as she could handle. And I don't blame Mary one bit for that. But I do kind of blame us. Because we're on the other side. We have information that she didn't. We know that Jesus is alive. And that death has no ultimate power. So we should have a greater capacity to recognize Jesus among the living. That phrase I love. In the other telling of the story in Luke, when the women get to the tomb and they meet the angels, one of the things that they say to her, to them is, why are you looking for the living among the dead? Isn't that a, is it that, that, that piercing statement has, has hit me for two decades now. Why do you look for the living among the dead? Why do you have this assumption of death? There is life here, but you have to imagine it. Otherwise, you're going to keep looking in these directions that only have a ceiling of finding the dead Jesus. <laughs> but that's not the story. Assumptions of death are no longer appropriate for Christ's followers. And when I say assumptions of death, I mean the attitude that things are just bad and, and there's not really much hope beyond okay in our world, in our attitude in our habits, in our faith, that there's just not much hope beyond okay. The hope and the emotion that are pointed at from a story like this with Mary is something that we need to pay attention to because when we hope for something, we start to look for it. She hoped that she could figure out who took Jesus' body, so that's all that she is looking for. Okay? But when we hope for something, we start to look for it. Think about this compared to the the story of the prodigal son. The story that Jesus tells about a father whose son squandered his inheritance and ran away and departed from the relationship, broke the relationship. And what do we find out about the father's practices while the son is gone? We find out that every single day he is scanning the horizon because he hopes, he has hope and imagination that his son's going to return to him one day. So constantly, that's what he's looking for. So constantly, what he is doing is he is saying, I hope for this, so I'm going to look for it. I believe that this is possible, so I'm going to keep my eyes on it. And lo and behold, the father sees him where? It says, from far off. He sees him the moment he comes into view. Such a beautiful glimpse of of the, the father's heart and what God's hope is for every human, every person. That restoration is always possible. Reconciliation is always just a couple steps away. Incredible, beautiful vision. He knew what he was looking for. So the question is, are we looking around and only expecting the same every day? Are we expecting to just be a part of a culture where people become more and more disconnected, where conversations are constantly characterized by complaint? Even in our faith, what are the assumptions that are at work in us? Are we looking for Jesus only as a wise guide, just to kind of lay out some rules, about living? Are we looking to Jesus only as an atonement for our sin? Are we we looking to Jesus only as a social revolutionary that gives hope to the poor? Yes, 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 to all of it and more. If we find ourselves thinking that Jesus is one thing, only one place, then we will miss Jesus when he is right in front of us but not looking like our expectations. When we begin to understand that Jesus came to make all things new, that Jesus came to rescue me from the power of sin and death and to transform our world into a place of justice and mercy and peace and to bring life and resurrection to dead places, when we get to that point and to create a community of support and encouragement, then we will be looking all the time for the living God and maybe we will recognize Jesus when he's in front of us. All right, let's move on to the story because it doesn't end with Mary frantically looking around. All right. So she looks at this, uh, this gardener, and she says, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him, and I will get him. Interestingly, let me, let me just give you a little clue that you can't see because it was in the, the previous passage. Verse 14 says, At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, okay? And then he asks her a question. And then she thinks he's the gardener and says, Sir, where you put him, tell, if you've carried him away, tell me where. Then Jesus says her name, Mary. And it says that she turned to him. We already knew that she turned around once to Jesus when she caught a glimpse of him. But by this point, she had already turned around. Where have you put him? And she's already looking around somewhere else. So when Jesus says her name, she turns around a second time. Her back is to Jesus when he utters her name because she's still looking in the wrong place. She's still not recognizing Jesus. And he says her name, Mary, a name that he has said so many times before. And it's not, I'm, I'm, I'm positive, it's not just the name, but it's the way it's said. It's the recognition in the voice. It's not just that somebody guessed the name of Mary, but it does something. She turns to him and cries out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. It's a loving, meaning a loving, loving expression of teacher. Like daddy version of dad. Rabboni. Jesus said, don't hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. So she clings to him. Go instead and tell Don't tell them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, my God and your God. Interesting that Jesus makes a bit of a delineation here between his relationship with the Father and hers, (laughs) because it is. It's both the Father of the Son and the Father of Mary, but he's making it clear that there's a different type of relationship that I have my God and your God. Mary went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord, and she told them that he had said these things to her. Okay, let's sit with that moment of the name. The power of uttering a name is completely profound, right? When someone utters your name, you take notice. A name is is highly personal. When I I check out somewhere at a grocery store, uh, when I can, I try to take note of the cashier's name, just so that at the end, I can call them by it. I can, I can thank them by name. And often something happens when I say, thanks, Jessica, and I walk away. There's, there's something that when someone recognizes you, even if they don't know you well, your name is so personal that it does something. It changes in some way. It changes you. Uh, hearing our name, it like snaps us out of our internal world. It snaps us out of all sorts of things, right? That's why we use all of our names with our kids. Right? That's why we pull out every name that we can possibly come up with. And the people that decided to give multiple middle names are more effective um, at this. I have some friends from more you know, Latino cultures that have like three middle names. And it's wonderful because when they need to get somebody's attention, you know that they mean business when you hear six names in a row. It's beautiful. But, but when, I, you know, when when we are trying to snap somebody out of their headspace, when they're ignoring us, you know, I will say, Soraya Joy please don't keep bouncing on the couch, right? Like we know when we use names, we want to get someone's attention and sometimes we want to snap people out of it and, and say, hey, pay attention to me. My kids used to take my face when I was talking to them. Daddy, pay attention to me. what I just say, Daddy? Four years older. what I just say, Daddy? I need to do a better job of listening. But, but this is one of the things that makes that story so incredibly poignant. The utterance of Jesus shakes Mary out of her head-spinning disappointment and out of her grief and out of her frustration just for a moment. It makes her stop. It makes her slow down, and it makes her see. Interesting that Mary doesn't say, how do you know my name? She just hears it and receives it. Her insecurity, her fear, her heartbreak, her loss, her hopelessness, her assumptions drift away when she hears Jesus speak her name. God knows our name in the deepest places, and therefore, God, he sees the core of who we are. He desires to build a relationship with us in the deepest ways. Do we understand that God calls us by name? Take a look at the the scriptural witness to this. Um, Now, Isaiah speaks about God calling the name of Israel as a people. But there's both a corporate and a personal element throughout all of the scriptures of God, knowing our names, calling us by name. I didn't even include any of the psalmist's statements about how deeply God knows everyone personally. Isaiah says, don't be afraid. I've ransomed you. I've called you by name and you're mine. Isaiah 49, I have written your name on the palms of my hands, God's tattoos. John 10, Jesus is speaking. The sheep recognize The voice of the gatekeeper, he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Jesus says, I know those who are desiring to follow me. I know them intimately. I know them by name. Matthew, Jesus teaching again, very hairs on your head are numbered. You're so valuable. So over and over again, we get this witness that God calls us by name, knows our name. Calls us into a deeper knowing over and over again. The experience of Mary at the tomb happens over and over again in our lives, Uh, especially right now when we are so incredibly full of distractions, full of frustrations, full of grief. So we inevitably will share in the oversights of Mary. We will find ourselves in the same position, but we can learn. We can learn to stop making assumptions of death. Jesus always defies our assumptions. We'll look at that even more next week. But the resurrection has taught us that when we can see and think only of death, life is still breaking forth. So it's time to stop making assumptions of death. Like you, I have watched and seen the decline of public discourse in our country. I've watched people who ought to be models in our country showing the maturity of children and many, unfortunately, that oppose them using the same name-calling and degrading approaches in response. I've, I've seen people get meaner and meaner with one another. I've seen good movements get sidetracked by people with evil intent. I've seen, like you, the division that has become so normalized and the lack of care for one another, all hidden behind righteous indignation, because those people are the real problem. So this year, for the first time this spring, I found myself wondering through tears. I'm an optimistic person. I found myself wondering through tears dreadfully, what kind of a world are my children going to grow up in? I have never asked that question before in my life, but I found myself asking it this spring. And this week, after sitting with Mary and with Jesus, I realized just how much I still struggle to recognize Jesus because Jesus is alive And Jesus is risen, and I am missing things because I can't look around with hope. I've been carrying around the assumption of death. So do you know what kind of a world my children will grow up in? They'll grow up in a world where they understand that when someone does something bad, doing something good in response is always possible. They'll grow up in a world where when someone is in need, their family talks about it and figures out what they will do to help because we're all humans in this thing together. They'll grow up in a world where they learn that although all people are equal and wondrous, not all people are actually treated that way, but they can be a part of the change. They'll grow up in a world where honest acts of kindness bring more praise than straight A's any day, and where raucous laughter is always appropriate inside and outside of the home. They'll grow up In a world where their parents are trying to listen to Jesus' voice, even though they frequently can't hear it because they're talking too much. At least one of them. They'll grow up in a world where beauty is always around and able to be noticed because God is a brilliant artist. They'll grow up in a world where regardless of who the president is, Jesus is Lord And Jesus is leading us to do wonderful things for others. And the darker the night is, the more noticeable the light will shine. And I wrote that line before it was mentioned twice already in this gathering. (laughs) What kind of a world will they grow up in? A world where resurrection is always a possibility, and not just a possibility, but a promise. I don't want to make assumptions of death any longer. I want to make assumptions of life. And I want Life Path to be a people who expect life to emerge, not death. So we will continue to walk forward with a beautiful imagination, knowing that another world is possible and we are here for it. We can learn to, make, to stop making assumptions of death. And we can learn to hear Jesus' voice. Maybe you haven't made it to the tomb. <laughs> Maybe you're so cynical or exhausted or distracted by your phone uh, and by stuff that doesn't have much value that you haven't really even been looking for Jesus and so you haven't been learning to recognize him lately. Or maybe you're like Mary and you're willing to head toward Jesus but you're so overwhelmed with grief and despair and frustration that you miss Jesus right in front of you, wanting to speak. Either way, here's the truth. You're still known. Jesus is still alive and speaking. And Jesus has lived with his disciples for a few thousand years of some hard times. So we're going to be able to continue to hear the voice of God through whatever we're going through right now. So, so church, let's listen together for the voice of Jesus calling our names and reassuring us of his presence. That is the hope. Let's not miss Jesus because we've already figured out the storyline. He's been taken. Someone's taken him. Let's not miss because we've figured out the story and how it already ends because we don't know what we do know and it's beautiful. I'm excited to share, um, it, it, takes, it takes time and energy to retrain our hearts and minds in this way. It, it really does. It takes time and energy to retrain our hearts to slow down enough to be, to dwell well with Jesus and to learn how to recognize the voice of God and hear that God has called our names. Uh, Jesus is a gardener. <laughs> Ironically enough, even though he's mistaken for one, he is a gardener, and and his promise is to grow us into a beautiful creation now and forever. I'm really excited to share that in less than a month, we're going to be embarking on a really unique journey um, into deeper discipleship with Jesus as a community. We're going to be doing a um, a project that that walks us into a deeper experience of what it means to slow down and listen to Jesus um, as a as a group, a study together, and. Um, You'll hear more about that in the coming weeks and what that's going to look like, but but we are taking this experience and calling of Jesus to to go deeper really, really seriously because it affects the inward, the upward, the outward. It all is affected. How well you can live out compassion is affected by how well you can listen deeply to the voice of Jesus. So I'm excited about that, and I I hope you are too. So let's just close our time with a a moment of gratitude to Jesus, and then we'll uh, share in communion, and we will be on our way. Jesus, we are thankful. We're thankful that in the moments that we don't recognize you, you still recognize us. And you still speak. And you speak our name. Help us, Lord, to not grow cold or grow cynical. To not let our ears grow shut. Help us live with hope in new ways, whatever it might be that each of us is experiencing. Help us recognize where you're at work so that we might live with an attitude of resurrection. We know that there's no formula for any of this, Lord. But we do believe that your promise of presence is steady and reliable. We thank you for that. Amen.